0: Hey what's up everybody in this episode we got my girl Sophia Popov Sophia is the British Open Champion and has an incredibly cool story and I want you to stick around to the end because I'm actually going to read this letter that she wrote uh, that she calls a letter to her sisters in the game we talk a little bit about it this episode it's pretty deep stuff but you can hear somebody who was kind of on the brink of quitting but just didn't let herself quit it's an incredibly cool story uh, to go from struggling to British Open Champions. So I'm really excited to bring Sophia on. Stick around to the end; I'm going to read her full letter. It's uh, it's powerful stuff. So let's get into this episode. Hey, what's up? I'm your host, Kyle Drink, and we're going Beyond the Swing.
1: Sophia. Hi, how are you?
0: I'm good. Yourself?
1: Pretty good. Yeah. Okay, good complain? I, uh...
0: But digging some digging up some stuff on you and I was just reading this uh, a letter to my sisters in the game oh yeah so Fun. yeah <laughs> but I'm I'm very I'm like interested in this this can be on the pot or it doesn't have to be but what compelled you to write this that's pretty deep
1: um I think just I don't know I think sometimes um I think sometimes it's just frowned upon to, to open up, especially as an athlete about certain things. And, um, I, I've I've talked to a lot of girls out on tour and obviously I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a lot, not obviously, but I'm good friends with a lot of them because I think I have that, um, tendency to want to talk about things and have girls kind of be okay with opening up about things and, um I think as athletes it's always like yeah you can't you know you have to be really tough and if you want to be out here you want to you have to be s- mentally really strong obviously you do you know in order to be able to win and to play well you have to be but like I don't know I think sometimes being a little bit vulnerable is 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 tough for most athletes so um I think you know I got together with um with a couple of the uh the staff that did the drive on um, commercial with me, and and they basically said, you know, is this something that you would want to do? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I I've always been someone who's kind of I don't know. I think I like to give back a lot, just because it's. I think all of us have like such a different story, and um, I think everyone always thinks that everyone's uh, path to success is similar and easy. And oh yeah, and here they are, and now that person's winning like four or five events a year as though it came, you know, came easily to them. And it, it never does. It's And I think everyone's, like I said, everyone's path is just a little bit different. And I mean, sometimes for me it's whether it's with like my health issues or um, just playing on tour forever until winning my first event. You know, I think that's actually a more normal career path than uh, I don't know, a Lydia Ko and Nelly Korda girls that, when, when they're only like 22, 23, 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people forget, um, sometimes. So I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with that and just being kind of open about what it's like to be, <laughs> an I don't know, professional golfer and what comes with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful letter letter. It's really cool. And I heard, um, so I was talking to uh, Henry fall who caddies for Dana Finkelstein out there. Yeah. And he said, and I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I, it, from people i have heard it said it's close. It's like, he said like most professionals are making the majority of their money in like two or three weeks of the year.
1: Yeah. hundred percent.
0: That's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, and a lot of times I will, I'll chat to, you know, when I when I, I just recently had a conversation with um, another girl uh, that's playing a good friend of mine out on tour and she's just obviously I haven't been out there in six weeks because I'm on a medical, but she's really been struggling. And um, and I said to her, I said, you just I think one thing that it's funny, my rookie year, Natalie Galba said to me, she said, I know it's tough. I know you're struggling, but all you need out here is one or two good weeks really good weeks so just always kind of keep that in the back of your head that you don't you know you don't freak out when you have five six bad weeks in a row because you don't know like you could have that one really good week and then you're totally fine um but thank you <laughs> i just got my coffee <laughs> <Damn>. um <laughs> <laughs> Yay. priorities man um, i get it <laughs> i know i was know. like i need to wake up but, um <laughs> But yeah, it is it is it is like that. I mean, you you can play decent golf for, I don't know, a good stretch of like two or three months and keep coming in 40th, 35th, 40th, 45th. Those are all good finishes. I mean, you still have to finish. You still have to play decent golf to finish that way. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't do much for you as far as the points go. Like you need you need some really good weeks. You need top threes, top fives, um, obviously from a money standpoint, but also from a point standpoint to even keep your card. Yeah. If you, if you come in 35th every week, you're probably financially going to be doing fine doing okay uh, depending on the tournaments, but yeah, you need two or three really good weeks out here. Um, And that goes for the caddies too. (laughs) I mean, they uh, you know, it's your player comes in 20th to 70th and it's it's almost a wash for the week essentially. So um yeah, it's it's a grind.
0: Yeah. You're you're not driving Ferraris unless you finish at their top.
1: Yeah, unless you're like top five in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so that's an interesting one. Um, because I, I just honestly haven't paid that much attention to like the money list and stuff on the LPJ. Like how many, like how lucrative is it? You know, just to like just to keep your card, I guess.
1: Um, I mean, just keeping your card. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I just throw out the numbers. Um, you know, that's going to be, it used to be about a hundred thousand to keep your card. Now it's more like, I think you have to make about 150, close to 160,000 to keep your card. Uh, just cause our purses have gone up, which is obviously a great thing, but then you think about it you go, okay, so let's say the hundredth girls, one has made $150,000 um, it's about, you know, it, it costs you about really, really like, I guess a conservative number, like if you're, if you're really paying attention to your, uh, spending and like what you're, where you're staying and host families and what seasons still cost you at least like 40, 50 grand, uh, just flying around some places you have to stay in hotels, whether it's in Europe or, or Asia um, of course you can stay in host families here and there, but then sometimes you kind of have to think about your golf performance and you don't always want to do that. So, and I would say the top end, um, when you're really, you know, you're staying in hotels most of the week because that's just how you feel comfortable and you're flying everywhere and, and whatnot. I mean, you're the season costs you like 70, 80 grand. Um, wow. and that's, and I'm talking also about, you know, you also have caddies, you have coaches, you uh-huh. have, um, I, I pay my trainers, my physios and, So all the costs that that you have and then, and then you've also got your living costs. So let's say like all in all, you know, after everything's said and done, that hundredth girl is really not left with a lot of money unless, um, of course, sponsorships come in. So there, it varies a lot between the girls and, and, and who has what sponsorships, but Definitely on the women's tour, it's not like the men's. It doesn't yeah. Just getting an LPGA card doesn't mean you suddenly have sponsors throwing themselves at you. Um so yeah, I think in order for it to really be lucrative, if you make the top fifty, top sixty every year, you're you're doing pretty well. Um, but it's still not a, you know, you're you're set for life kind of money.
0: <laughs> you yeah. still have to,
1: you know, be smart about it. Um, you know, ideally invest some properly and all that stuff. So
0: yeah. Gotcha. Well, and now you're a major champion though. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Big congrats on that. So thank you. you, Well, so again, we kind of started with that, that letter you were talking about, like, Mm. was that, I didn't see the date on that. Was that before? No, that was
1: after. Uh, So let me see. Um, I don't, I can't remember. It's been, it's been a while. Um,
0: Oh, there it is. September 15, 2020.
1: September 50th. Yeah. So it's like maybe two or three weeks after.
0: Okay. I so I you wrote that right after. Yeah.
1: I wrote right after. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um, you're t- you're I'll quote just a few things here if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like re- refresh my memory because I, I'm <laughs> well, not even sure what I wrote good. anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to link to this cause that's this a really good letter. I love stuff like this too. I mean, I had, uh, I had a girl who was playing uh, Symmetra for, Ever one time write a letter to my uh, like kids, you know who are upcoming. You know some of the parents who may have been a little yeah. over the top. I was like, because she had some yeah. hard parents, and as she wrote this letter, and I just read it. I was like, damn, you cry. crying. I was like, holy crap, man! Like yeah. it was way yeah. deeper than I ever thought it was gonna be. But yeah. but you started with just like I know what it's like to struggle. I know all the questions you ask yourself, the doubt, the frustration you feel. I know about the sweat, the countless hours of hard work and emotional energy you invest only to see your dream slip further from sight, like a ship disappearing in the twilight. So first of all, like, did you like legit write that? Or did you have help? Cause that's, um, bad.
1: I wrote it. I actually love writing. So I wrote it, um, but I had like two or three minor tweaks. So I worked with, um, uh, Roberta, uh, sorry um ah god
0: well it's all good so moving on so so, so, i love this next line though you say i know what it's like to stand on a mountaintop of expectations and i know what it feels like to fall and i know what it's like to think it's time to walk away
1: yeah so i wrote all that myself um and then like i said here and there i had tweaks uh made but Basically, I think that one was kind of an easy one for me because, um, yeah, I mean that I was I was just so close to to quitting the game um, in November of 2019, and it's just that it's because like I know, obviously, my rookie year was 2015, and I know a lot of girls that have played on tour for a long time, and um, we. I see, I think it's because you see everyone, you see the ones that come and go, you see the ones that establish themselves and stay out there. Um, You see, you see all of it. And you know, you're kind of part of that. And you're like, okay, I'm one of these girls. That's literally, I know if I play my best golf, I can, I can beat all these girls. But I need to have it all come together for a week. And Um, I have to have the mental mindset for that. And I think constantly having this, I, you know, I missed out on uh, Symmetra Tour top 10 twice by like two spots. Um, And it always came down to the final event of the season. And I've had a really good season, but I just didn't win the tournaments that had the higher purses. So um, I would always miss out by like $1,000 or something at the end of the season. And it was tough because Symmetra Tour status is pretty good. Um, on LPGA and and I think then you just barely miss it so then you have to go back to Q series um, and then maybe at Q series you just you know you're tired from the season you just don't have your best stuff and you get your card but it's like average status so you're kind of trying to fight your way back into the season at the beginning of the year you play and you play a bunch of Monday Qs and it's this whole thing and this goes on for years and and it's so tough because you put a lot of rounds together. Six, seven under. You're playing really well. You know, in college, I I never really thought about it. I just I played so well during college because I never really had any consequences. So stringing stringing rounds together, three, four at a time, was was no problem then. But then you're out on tour. You make your money that way, and you know, obviously, you've got demons in your head at some point that are that say, you know, it's. You're, you're doing so well, you're doing so well, just keep it together. Um, I mean, these are all like normal thoughts. Every girl out there is having them like, okay, come on, let's finish drawing. This could be huge for me. Um, and you have like two, three hard, tough holes at the end and you make maybe two bogeys and a par and you're like, oh, what could have been if I had? And da And those are all thoughts mm-hmm. that go constantly through all these girls' heads. And I think that that's, that's why I wrote this too because I think you sometimes you need to realize that i think it's all it's all worth it like just keep going keep going keep going because at some point it will click and i think that like a really really good example of this is paula rito this year winning in canada and she's been i mean she's been out for as long as i have or even maybe a year or two longer than me and she's been in the same situation great golfer just kind of up and down between the tours And now she puts it all together in Canada. She's been playing pretty good golf all year, but then she wins there. And it's just like, to me, it was so, I don't know, satisfying to watch her because I was like, that's exactly like how I felt. Just like when things finally come together and you're like, this is who I am. And I've been around the whole time, but no one really knows me because I've just not been able to, to finish tournaments or finish out and, and actually win. So I think that's where a lot of this came from in, in that letter too.
0: So was there, I mean, I think everybody's always looking for like, what's that one magical thing you did to get you over the hump, but was there really anything that changed in your practice, your regimen, your mindset, or was it just like, just keep going? And it it finally happened.
1: Um, I think that a a huge thing for me was um, that actually it was, it was obviously when COVID started, uh, COVID started at the beginning of 2020 and um we had a long break on tour and i finally got the chance to physically get as prepared as i possibly could so i mean i I remember i was working out like four or five times a week with my trainer um i was doing i was just playing some mini tour stuff i was trying to put it all together and kind of just be um have fun while i was playing but also like physically and with nutrition wise, really just get in that, that spot that I want to be in. Cause obviously with my Lyme disease, I need to be extremely strict with my diet just to get the energy levels that I wanted to. So those four months, four or five months were so important to me because I felt like I was definitely, um, I was in really, really good shape. I felt like I could have played like eight weeks in a row at that time and, and been fine. Um, And then I think I was just playing with a little bit of a different mindset. I think uh, before I went into this COVID break, I told myself, I said, listen, I just, I'm 27 now, I want to play another, let's just give my, I'll give myself another three years because I said, I'm not going to quit. I'll give myself until I'm 30. And if I play well, great. If I don't, you know, that's, that's the end of it. And so I think that really freed me up to mentally to just go out and play and have fun caddied for my friend Anne for a week and just enjoyed being out there a lot more. Um, uh, whether it was a cactus tour event, whether it was my first Epson tour event of the season or, um, or being at the British, you know, I was just having such a good time just being out there and, and enjoying playing. Cause I, I told myself, you know, it's just, you, I, I think it's cause I gave myself that timeline too, that I said, you know, just go out and, and enjoy it, you know, let's say in my head, I was like, I only have three more years to play or two and a half or whatever. Um, so let's just make the most out of it. And I think that was definitely something that, um, was key for me in that week.
0: I think enjoyment is a big one that, you know, especially in that competitive grind goes away. It's not fun when yeah. you're in those modes and you're <laughs> depressed and unhappy. I mean, it's no fun at all.
1: No, no, <laughs> Uh-uh, you no, know, so I no. think
0: finding that I think that's a there's a very good lesson in that finding the finding ways to like truly get back to I mean some people say like be a kid again, but it's a lot hard, easier said than yeah. done. But it's like how do you like get back to just like loving being out there? I think is a huge one.
1: I think it's 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 that's exactly it because I say it a lot and I say just go just be out there go out there and be like you were when you were a kid and you first started playing because that's when you had the most fun and. I think it was it's interesting I just played so Canada was my last event this year and um before taking my medical because I've just been really struggling with my shoulder and I took I knew after Friday that was going to be my last round because there was no way I couldn't play with that much pain for any longer so that round actually knowing and making that decision to say okay I'm going to take the rest of the year off was probably the most fun I'd had all year playing. I went out there and I it was it was it was a morning round and I'm like, you know, this is like I enjoyed the sunrise. I enjoyed the different smells that you have on the golf course when you're out there like just enjoying every single shot I hit. I was there. I said, you know, this is going to be my last competitive round until probably the end of February. So just go out, hit every shot with, you know, the right intention and and just and I literally feel like I had a smile on my face the entire round, just knowing that. And, and I said, this is how I should be playing every single round, but the, the, how caught up we get in just wanting to perform, wanting to play well, the consequences, the everything, this and that it's something, obviously when you're seven, eight years old and you start playing, you don't think about that because who cares whether you play well, or you play bad. No one cares. My parents never cared. They, 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 they love me regardless of how I play and still do. So I never, I never felt that pressure when I was, when I was younger, but obviously now sometimes it feels like you have the weight of, for me, like sometimes a country on my shoulders because, you know, for Germany, I'm, I'm their first major champion. So it's like, I feel like I need to continue performing up to that level because that's what they have come to expect from me. Um, and and then you're obviously your sponsors and then you know sometimes you feel like the people around you are questioning what you're doing when you're not playing well and it's not like you're not trying it's not like you're not trying to figure it out but it's just it's really really tough every anyone that plays the game knows you know you can be a two-footer away from making the cut or a four-footer away from making the cut and having a strong weekend and finishing 30th you miss that four footer and you're out and then it's, you know, and it's, it's like those nuances that just make such a big difference.
0: Yeah. So like expectations is a word I keep hearing you throw out there. And that's, I mean, that's a big one. I'm, I'm a big, uh, you know, I do a lot with mental game with players and stuff. And it's like, I'm always curious on just like a player at your level. Like what are your expectations when you play? Um, I know it's pretty broad, but <laughs> you can take that wherever you no.
1: want. It's, uh, I think it's just, it's, it's one of those things that I try. I think when I, when I start my round, I start kind of blending things out because I just want to focus on, um, on what I'm doing and kind of the task at hand, but I do, there are parts of me during the round that still think about, you know, okay, what do I need to do in order to, uh, like, I don't know, catch the leaders or make the cut or whatever the wherever I'm at kind of thing. And I think sometimes it's those, it's more of a subconscious thing. It's like this, 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 this consequence thing that I'm talking about where, okay, if you don't finish, you know, halfway decent, then this and this and then this and this. And then obviously I have, I, I think the highest expectations come for myself because I know I'm a, easily a top 50 player and I should be, you know, CME, the race to CME, Is the final event of the season? I should be making that. It when you know me personally, I think I should be making that every single year. So I have these expectations for myself, and I think that's sometimes what gets in the way a little bit because I trying to force yourself to perform at your absolute best that is usually never going to work. Um, the best rounds you play, everyone knows they come out of just not even a low expectation. It's more like, a, Oh, I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to try to hit a bunch of greens. If I make some pots, great. Then you start suddenly you roll, like you roll in like two 15 footers and you're like, ah, and then suddenly you it frees up your, your iron game. And then, Ooh, you hit it to four feet here. It's six feet here. And you're hitting the par fives and two. And, and that's how your good rounds come together. Not because you're going at every pin and trying to force things, Um, and I think that's why that's where like my own expectations a lot, they come in a lot because I know deep down, I think I've always known I'm, I'm a very, very good ball striker. So when that isn't going my way, I still, instead of being a little bit more conservative and being like, all right, just, you know, fire at the middle of every green and just try to make, try to make some pots. If not, you know, we're shooting even today. Um, I just kind of get a little bit too aggressive, kind of expecting that same ball striking every single day, day in, day out, not, you know, kind of make, not making it clear to myself, even the best of the best, you know, t- when Tiger always said that when he didn't have it one day, he just played extremely smart. And then he is obviously extreme, like really good with his putter. So he'd probably make a couple of putts pots and, and get away with a two under round or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I think, um, it's tough to manage. I think sometimes it's like being okay with just stepping, like taking a step back and playing a little bit more conservatively here and there.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I've, so what I've learned is stress is like one of the biggest killers, the effects of stress, you know, and I think expectations <sighs> fuel that. Right. So if we're not leading up to our yeah. expectations also, and we start feeling the effects of stress, sometimes even being underlying, but you know, we get these like cortisol releases, which are essentially a paralytic, you get tense, start using different parts of your brain, so you're not thinking very clearly. But I mean, yeah. especially at your level, it's very easy to be stressed. But even at like a high school level, somebody's expected to win the state tournament or something, or they're expecting to break eighty even, you know, yeah. and they just all of a sudden have a couple of bogeys like, ooh, I'm not yeah. on track for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, exactly.
0: Yeah. So it's it's interesting hearing that even at that level, but you know, I think another big piece too is, you know, I talk a lot about self-image, you know, and like your self-belief, you know, and I love yeah. like when a player like you was like, I'm a great ball striker, you know, yeah. people who are struggling with some stuff, maybe, maybe not say, they might not say it like that. It might be like, yeah, I'm usually good. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's where you have to, you have to tell yourself that again and again, because I think we're so, I think professional golfers and especially at our level at our level are so good at talking ourselves down and being like mm-hmm. I didn't I mean I can't hit a fairway to save my life but then you actually look at the stats and you go okay well I hit seven fairways today it wasn't like yeah that's only half the fairways that's not good that's why I'm not playing well but it's not like I can't I, if you keep saying, I can't hit a fairway to save my life, you're not going to ever get on the tee box and be confident about it. Mm. Um, so you kind of have to, I, all the things that people said to me over the years, I tried to tell myself because other people will tell you, you're an incredible putter, you're an incredible ball striker, but you yourself will never admit to that because it's like, yeah, but then why am I shooting? Like, why can I not shoot more than two under par right now? Like what's, what's going on? Um, And I think that's why I, I try to tell myself that all the time because I go everyone throughout my career, whether it's my coaches and my my teammates and whatnot, they've always said to me, like, like, I love your ball striking. Like I wish I could hit it that way. And I would always play it cool. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like it's, 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 it's not that big of a deal. It's not that great. But then I was like, I thought about that. I said, everyone said that, you know, my husband said that to me and I go, okay, you're probably a pretty good ball striker. You probably should keep telling yourself that because even when you're not playing well, if you keep reminding yourself, you're like, okay, as soon as I, everything clicks, it is, it's, it's, it's awesome. And obviously I've, you know, you can't be, you can't win a major without having good ball striking, especially in brutal conditions like in, in, at Royal Troon. And I think, That's what, and and I putted extremely well that year. And it was maybe, maybe my putting had been a little bit streaky, but from that moment on, I told myself, yeah, I mean, I can, I can literally make anything. So the rest of that year and last year, I was just, I was putting with a completely different mindset and freedom to it because I just kept telling myself, well, you you know, if you just put yourself in position, 18 holes, you're going to make at least like two to three 15 footers because you're just putting so well and you'll be fine. And that's something that, you know, it's, it obviously goes comes and goes, it's nice when it's there. But obviously, the last three or four months, it's also been it's been tough, because I I tell myself that but the putts aren't going in and things don't go my way. And you get a couple of tough breaks here and there. And next thing you know, you miss like three cuts in a row by one. And you're like, Okay, I know I'm so so close. But clearly something is not and it's that tiny bit of confidence that you have that makes such a big difference because you're never even thinking about a cut line or you're never even you just go and you finish out the round like any other round but when you do miss a couple cuts it's like oof i you know what's going on and and then you think about it in the next tournament whereas last year i had a streak of i think i made 16 cuts in a row and I never even thought about it. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not not thinking about not making the cut. I'm constantly thinking about what do I have to do in in order to win this golf tournament? Like how far back am I? Okay, let's get it together. Let's make a couple birdies. Let's get closer to the lead. And that mindset changed a little bit. and And I think people are quick to say, well, that's easy to change. And I'm like, no, because it's something that comes from a little bit deeper down. It's It's something that you can't, you need to work on that in order to feel that you can't just suddenly go out and say, Oh, today I'm going to be, I'm going to play with confidence because if it's not there, it is, it's, it's, you can't, you can try to fake it a little bit, but you really can't not in that same way. And it'll always be a different kind of confidence you're playing with more of an, of a, of an arrogant, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to be fine. (laughs) And like forcing it issue, forcing the issue, not like this natural confidence that you just, you teed up and you're pretty nonchalant about shooting four or five under. Um, so that's something that is yeah, tough to recreate sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I point to like Muhammad Ali a lot or Floyd Mayweather. I'm not sure if you know those yeah. guys, but those, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just constant hype, you know I mean? Most of the yeah. players like Michael Jordan was constantly talking crap. I mean, it's like, you know, again, when people are like, Oh, just flip that and think positive well, listen here, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. I mean, <laughs> you don't know, no kidding, but yeah, I mean, those, that's, that is, that's a lot of time of like conditioning that. Um, yeah. Yeah. and those belief patterns can be there, but like, you know, our subconscious kind of has like a bullshit filter on it. So for example, yeah. like if you're not yeah. like a very good driver of the ball and you're like, Oh, I'm a great driver. You're sometimes like, no, you're not. What are you, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: You know, so it's yeah. hard to flip that in in the moment. Like I've I use an example a lot with with kids, more to just get a laugh. But like, you know, I've like, look, I know I look good, right? And somebody yeah. could just come around and tell me like, oh, you don't look good. I'm like, get out of here! Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know. Yeah. But like, if I hear it ten thousand times, I might be like, huh. Maybe I don't look good.
1: Look <laughs> <We're all> good, <laughs> exactly. You, you know,
0: so it's like that yeah. constant, like over and over. But the stronger that belief is, the, the harder it is to break. But yeah, if you're if you're hitting a shot and you don't say a word about your good ones in practice, and then you know yeah. you hit one bad when you're like, oh, that sucked. Well, yeah. Guess, guess yeah. what? You're starting to believe. You know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. it's like being okay with. I think, like when I'm playing my best golf, I don't care whether I slightly heal my driver or I slightly just barely pull the seven iron because I'm okay with a fairway hit, even though it's 10, 15 yards shorter. And I'm okay with that shot being 15 feet and not five feet away from the pin. Um, it's almost like I give myself that like, like, okay, like I'm, I'm okay with myself. Like, that's oh, that's fine. Just go up there, just hit that pot and like try to make birdie. And if you don't make birdie, it's fine. Fine, you hit the fairway. Uh, you didn't hit it very far, but it's in the fairway, and you'd always rather be there than in the woods on the right. So, I think that being okay with that—that's how how I would. That's how I play when I'm playing my best. Is like I just I pick up the tee and I just move on because I'm like, okay, well, it's over. Whereas sometimes when I'm not playing well, I'm like, God, I healed another driver way short. Now I'm going to hit a six iron in instead of an eight iron. Um, stuff like that starts bothering you more like little things. And it is just so hard to flip that switch. You can manipulate it. And like you said, you can tell yourself over and over again, but it is that bullshit filter that your there. Your brain has that calls you out on it and says, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you can, you can keep being positive here, but like you've, had five, three putts today. So maybe just hit the, like, like maybe just go practice a putting. Like you're, yeah. it's like, there has, it has to be like a healthy kind of development of, of that confidence, not just like, Hey, I'm going to go from one day to the next, I'm going to go out. I'm just going to be okay with it. There are strategies. Obviously we all work with mental coaches and there are things that you can help in order to develop this, but it doesn't just happen overnight. You need to like my, my mental coach always says to me, he's like, it's a, It's a long process and it has to manifest itself in your daily life too. And not just like on the golf course. It's a, it's a way of life, not just a way of playing golf. And, and that's why I think that's what a lot of people kind of forget. They think, okay, I can be super stressed. I need to get this done and this done at work. And, and I, and I'm late on, and, and, and my boss is mad at me and blah, blah, blah. And they can take the stress on the golf course and then go and shoot 68 yeah probably not i mean yeah. unless you have like six drinks before you go out play and you can play that way <laughs> maybe yeah. but i don't recommend that so um you know that's it's kind of like it's it's more manipulating it rather than actually playing in a mindset that you should be constantly in
0: oh Sophia, i'm so happy you talked about like the heel driver because kids <laughs> especially oh my god like they'll just hit it and be like and it's just constant like oh i thin that a little oh Mm -hmm. I'm like Mm -hmm. how good do you think you are like
1: I know yeah like
0: a 14 handicap it's like I can't believe that ball's fading three yards I'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I'm just I'm like way too laid back of a person for that and like it's just not real you know I think yeah you know I talk a lot about social media you know we see a lot uh, we see tv highlights right that's that's Mm -hmm. like all we see we don't see your full rounds No, um, and I think that's something that most people should do is go watch a professional for a full round because you're gonna see some chaos. Oh, yeah, I had had one of my guys uh qualify for the Valspar um two years ago, three years ago. Gosh, I don't know, time's flying, but anyways, he played with a dude in a group. I'm gonna leave his name out because I don't want to call him out, but this guy (laughs) he hit it all over the map, like. One of the worst ball striking sessions I've ever seen. This is a PJ tour player. who has been out there for a long time. But I mean he was on yeah. like other tee boxes. He had to yell four yeah. like six times in the round. And <laughs> dude still shot like even and yeah. showed no emotion out there, which is crazy because yeah. the short game was ridiculous. But you know, and that's why I try to tell players, I'm like, look, go watch these players because you're not seeing they don't hit it two feet every time. They don't flush mm-hmm. it every time. They don't make eight mm-hmm. footers every time. Mm-mm. Um yeah. So I mean that whole thing, it's like it's pretty crazy, but um so getting into like the british you know I don't even know where to start like <laughs> what happened that week like what 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 click like how did you approach it was anything different
1: Um I think I mean I I touched on that a little bit earlier on but I think it was it was kind of that covid time I actually now my now husband who was my boyfriend at the time he had to leave back to germany because um His visa didn't allow him to stay uh, in the States any longer. And then once he went back to Germany, everything was in lockdown and he couldn't come back to the States. So at at that point we hadn't seen each other for, I think I want to say like three months. And um, I basically, I played these, these events leading up to the British and, you know, played the event in Toledo, the marathon at the time and, and came in top 10 um like literally pulling my own bag on a trolley and and then someone and then my, my best friend calls me in the scoring tent she goes she goes you qualified for the british and i'm like what <laughs> i had no idea i didn't even like think that wasn't on my radar again speaking to expectations and even thinking mm-hmm. about things during the round zero so then i'm like oh well that's really cool so then i had to make this decision because i played Metro tour in arizona the week before the british um, and at the time playing Symmetra tour was more important to me because I was trying to get my card back and I was like, well, I need to play this event in Arizona. I know the course really well. I live here. Um, part-time, I guess my parents live here and I, I like, that's, that's where my focus has to be. So I'm going to play Arizona, but then I will play the British. Cause like, there's no way I can just like, pa- you know, pass up, up on that opportunity, so then I go and and then I call my, at the time, boyfriend and I'm like, well, I'm, I qualified for the British. And he goes, no way. <laughs> and he's like, well, I mean, I can fly to the UK. Like, do you want me to caddy for you? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That way I get to see you. And that's going to be fun. like amazing. Mm-hmm. So we literally, I remember I came from the States, he came from Germany. We meet up in Amsterdam and fly up to Scotland. And we were just so excited to see each other after three months. We're like, this is going to be so cool. Like, let's just take it. And I, I flew in on like Tuesday night because I had to play in Arizona. And then by the time I flew out on Monday, then it's Tuesday. so We get there like sometime Tuesday with COVID, I needed to quarantine the rest of the day because until my test results came back. So we're, we're, we're in this hotel room. He's trying to keep me awake so that I get into somewhat of a sleep cycle. Uh, And, and I'm like literally doing jumping jacks, like half the day. So it was just this weird week where, where I'm like, okay. And then I went out Wednesday, played a practice round in perfect conditions. Like knew it wasn't going to be like this to get to see the chorus. We're like, like Max, my husband and I were just like, oh, this is awesome. This course is so cool. Like literally taking it in like a bunch of tourists. And, <laughs> um, it's so funny. And I remember I played with Jess and Nellie. I hadn't seen them in forever and I'm like, just having the best time. And we're having this conversation like on, I remember it's like on the 13th hole and Jess goes to me, she goes, yeah. So like, what's up with your status? Like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I came in second last week in Arizona, so I'm doing well in Symmetra. Hopefully I can get my card back at the, at the end of the year. And then I'll be, I'll be back out with you guys. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, that'd be fun. And I said, well, cause the, honestly, the only other option would be winning this week. And I just said that, like, like the only option is that. And she goes, Yeah, well, you never know. And I'm like, Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that and we knew the forecast for the next day was gonna be brutal. So I just kind of went out there and Max said to me, He's like, you know what? I want you on the range. I just want you to hit a bunch of I want you to pick a target like 80 yards out and just hit every single iron to that target. Just hit your pitching wedge there, your nine iron, your eight iron, your seven iron, but everything only eighty yards. So like obviously it just got lower and lower and lower and lower. And, and he's like, if you can do that out there and somehow control your ball flight in the wind, especially the first two days, like it's all good. So I said, okay, we got went on the range. We did a couple, couple, I would say like target practices like that. And then we just went out and I, I think it's cause it was so brutal. I mean, it was gusting up to like, honestly, like 40, 50 mile an hour on the first day. Um, wow. Just absolutely piping wind, especially off the off the ocean. So everything's just like start at eighty right and have it come in. And I enjoyed that round so much; it was ridiculous. And it was raining sideways, and I just like I I love the fact that it's like I'm 120 yards out, but I have to hit my four iron because otherwise I'm not going to get there. I was like, well, yeah, why not? And then I just kind of it kept me like in the moment a lot because I was just focused on every shot to come because you just can't think about anything else. Cause you're just fighting the elements and all that. And then I think just the first two days were both like that. The second day was a little bit milder. Maybe I actually got a little bit lucky with my tea time on the second day um, because I only got wind and no rain anymore, but it was still, it was still, really, really tough. Um, I remember, I think I just shot, I might've shot one under and one over those two days. Um, I was, I think I was even, and I was a couple shots behind and I was like, well, this is, this is awesome. Like <laughs> I'm having such a good time and, uh, I'm getting interviewed at the end of the round. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just out here having a good time. I'm loving having Max on the bag and we were just enjoying ourselves a lot. And then, you know, Saturday, it's just, it's a weird thing. because I think Saturday is the moment I realized I was like, you're not just, you know, the, the conditions are a little bit calmer. But I was just playing such good golf. Like my ball striking was on point, on point. Like I was hitting every, like pretty almost every shot the way I wanted to. And it gave me such an a inner peace and confidence about my game that I just went out. And, you know, I could, I was able to hit that driver off the deck and I never thought twice about it. I love that shot. And then it just worked out perfectly. And then when I made that Eagle on four, I was like, okay, I mean, this is like, you know, this is kind of turning into a little bit of like my the week of my life a little bit. Um, but everything's kind of coming together the way I know. I know it could. And I was, I was putting well too. So it was just, I think I was just enjoying being able to hit every shot the way I want to. And like I said then kind of developed this confidence and the final day I was just I mean I was so nervous it was ridiculous like I could barely I could barely feel the club in my hand on on the first on the first tee shot and I remember hitting it in the bunker and everyone I think at the time was thinking oh yeah here we go she's just gonna like tank and but for some reason just making bogey on that first hole like And actually, apart from the tee shot and having to hit it out sideways, I hit a really good wedge. Almost made my par putt, and it kind of almost calmed me down because I was like, okay, it was a bogey, but it was almost a par. And you actually did fine from the third shot in. (laughs) So just go out like you're obviously your ball striking's fine; it's there. Don't worry about it. And then I went and I birdied two and three, and and I just yeah, I think kind of developed this confidence about it being my week and kind of my time and um yeah it was just kind of crazy and obviously the rest is the rest is history
0: did you have at what point were you like whoa I'm I'm in contention uh like did those thoughts did you start to entertain those thoughts at all like round three or anything I think
1: I think Saturday of course because I there's a camera behind me on every single shot so I'm like okay well the camera wouldn't be here if I wasn't like clear like if I wasn't in contention or even leading this golf tournament because I didn't even know I didn't even I never paid attention to the leaderboard uh which was kind of my goal for the whole week was never to never to look um and so I just I don't know I just noticed at some point after like my third hole or something literally the camera was just there every single time and I'm like well I guess I must be somewhere up top and but I never I think it's that the The good thing is, I never really looked, but I knew. So I it's kind of that one of those things where I think you know, but you don't want to know exactly where you are. And mm-hmm. that's how the way I felt Sunday, too. I was like, clearly, i'm I'm doing really well because I play, <laughs> I play super, super fast, and the camera guy was literally running, trying to like get in position again because if Menji was to hit before me, it was kind of one of those funny things where I'm like, she, then they were running over cause I, I barely even take a practice swing and they're like, hold up, hold up, <laughs> wait two seconds to hit. And I was like, okay, I know, I know that like, obviously they're trying to get every single shot. So I, I mean, I I had to been doing well, but I didn't really want to know exactly. I just knew the girl in front of me, Jasmine Benapura. She was, she was playing well. I just saw her make a bunch of putts, but I think in my head I was just, I just kept my, telling myself, those are par putts, those are par putts. It's fine um just keep doing your thing and um uh, yeah like, I mean
0: that's kind of exciting though you know what I mean isn't it like mm-hmm. see the group ahead of you what they're doing it's
1: yeah
0: it's kind of like yeah. that tin cup moment there's mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully you're just not yeah. banging a bunch of balls in the water at the end but you, <laughs> yeah, you know just that know. that fight of like no like seeing what everybody else is doing and knowing mm-hmm. you got to perform I think that's so cool man
1: yeah yeah I mean it's kind of constant for me with Minji and my group, it was a little bit of a match play situation um, because she was kind of the one that I thought was going to be my closest contender in that sense. Um, and then I remember we were on, like, on the, I was playing well and we were on the postage stamp hole on eight and I just hit the middle of the green. And I was like, yeah. like, I remember that shot. I was like, thank God hit the green. I was so excited. And she hits up into the dunes, like on the left up on that hill. And I go, oh my God, that is like triple bogey territory. And she makes the most insane up and down like I've ever seen in my life. Like I literally still tell her to this day, I said this, that was, that was insane. Cause I then had like another three footer for par and she had already made her like 25 footer for par. And I'm like, I mean, that's how, that's like that match play situation where you're like, oh my God, I'm going from like clear advantage to yeah. now I have to make this pot in order to keep things kind of even the way they were so that was kind of fun. And then obviously watching the group ahead of us and I'm like, okay, so they're making a move. I knew, I knew Indy was kind of making a little bit of a move. Um, but yeah, I just, I think I just stuck to kind of my game plan and, and, and just every single, every shot, every ex- I try to execute everything, every shot individually and just kind of stick with it.
0: So what is your, um, kind of your shot process like i know you said you hardly take a practice swing and when i say a shot process i'm not like mm-hmm. that interested in like oh i do one practice swing walk up hit it I'm mm-hmm. more like what do you focus on like how do
1: you control um, the ball so usually um i kind of just picture a certain shot that i want to hit so let's say i'm like 160 out uh it's usually like a seven iron for me uh and then i kind of check okay, let's say the pin's tucked on the right I think game plans always to hit kind of a straight to maybe a slight little fade. So like, I kind of like, okay, this is the shot I want to hit. And then all I do is like, I kind of do a couple, like if I'm working on something specific, I do a little bit of a waggle before like behind the ball and just something, just a one thing. Cause I always have one thing, if at all, that I want to focus on not more than that. So I just do that once behind the ball. Then I kind of like pick my line, like a intermediate target. And then I set up to the ball and I go pretty quickly. But that whole process just is really doesn't take very long. Like I just kind of focus on that one thing that I want to work on my swing. Maybe it's a weight distribution thing. Um, Picture Like I go behind the ball, kind of pick that intermediate target right in front of me, usually like four feet out. Um, And then I see that ball flight once like in my head. And then I just set up to it and I, and I, and I go, I've always noticed for me, the more time that goes by, the more I stand at the ball, like Mm -hmm. the more I think about things and just don't, you know, uh, have a tough time executing. So it's fairly, it's fairly simple. And I think I've, I've been like that. It's been the same for forever. I haven't like really ever changed that very much. So this is the same with my putting. I think they're very similar. Just kind of picture the shot you want to hit um and then if i do stand over the ball and feel uncomfortable for whatever reason um i'll back off but usually i just set up and then go
0: what about um like your decision making process like how much do you take into account
1: um, a decent amount but i think for me the most important thing like when i also work with my caddy is like uh um i'm a big like I try to, so I pick kind of where on the green, where I want to be. So I look at where the pin is and I go, okay, ideally we're short left of this. So let's say the pins like one fifty-five. I know in order to probably get, get it all the way to the pin, I have to hit a small seven iron because my eight probably won't quite reach. And, but then I consider where I want to be and how much I always want to know front of the green pin back, the green, never want to short side myself. So in that case, if if the pins all the way in the back and I don't want to be long, that always dictates, I love to hit full shots. I don't like, I'm not a big fan of kind of like small, mm, like kind of grip down shots. Uh, it depends, it depends on the situation and whether it's windy or not, but if it's just a regular day, I love to hit. Just full stock irons, so I kind of I'd rather go after it a little bit more than have to take some off. So that's usually so. Then I kind of pick a number where I want the ball to finish, and then that's how I go. And then I kind of you know we tr- we talk about what that number is playing. Let's say it's one fifty, but it's a little bit into the wind. We're like it's probably playing more like one fifty three, one fifty four. It's a number we want to play, pitch it, and then I just go from there. I usually pick all my clubs myself. Um, I just, I kind of know, I have a very good feel, I think for how, how far every iron flies and also a good idea of what the lie is and how, what that will do to the ball flight. Uh, because sometimes, you know, you look down at the ball, it's kind of sitting down just a little bit and you know, as a player getting over it, you're like, oof, this is not going to fly the full distance. And, but like sometimes a caddy or someone standing outside will will just want to play your exact stock number. But I'm like, God, this is, I know this is not going to go anywhere. It's going to come off super spinny because it's like kind of sitting in this little hole. And so then I make an adjustment and that's just something where I like, I always tell tell my guys, I just trust me. Like when I, when I like pick different clubs, because it depends on the lie a lot. Like if it's sitting up nicely, obviously I'm going to get like a lot, a lot more on it. So it's a little bit different. Um, And then also, if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. My caddy's wrong. It takes me a minute to get over that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Not going (laughs) to lie. So I always love to have it be most of the things all just be my own fault. I always bring him in for some help, but I'll, uh, I'll always make the final decision myself.
0: Gotcha. Um so just for your context too, I think it's always interesting to hear like just some of your stats. Like how far do you hit driver versus like seven iron? Uh
1: so my driver, um, I carry it about between like 240 and 245. Uh usually with rollout. It's somewhere, I think I average somewhere around like 265, 270. Um my seven iron carries about 156, 157. Um, so I actually i would say comparatively on tour, I hit it pretty far, um especially my irons i hit i hit pretty far um but driver, yeah, driver, I'm up there it's i have it's kind of one of those things where like i if i let loose i my my club head speed is over a hundred miles an hour, so I'm usually like at somewhere between one oh one and one oh three so if i have a high smash factor i can like i can i can get it out there i can carry it probably also like closer to 250 but a lot of it is like kind of having a fairway finder swing versus going all out um so i think that's been kind of one of my things too this year um has been i haven't been able to kind of go after it full like a lot of it had to do with my shoulder too but um kind of having a swing to go with being able to be a little bit more confident and just kind of go after it so if i'm if I'm on the range I let loose yeah I can hit it further but I'd say on average on on the course like I can carry any bunker that's around 240 242 but um it's like I don't I don't hit it ridiculously far I'm probably kind of like top top 25 or something on tour but my irons go go fairly far I would say
0: gotcha so what's up with your shoulder?
1: Uh, the medical term would be rotator cuff tendinitis. Um, it's just kind of, uh, essentially overuse, um, kind of developed over time, started at the beginning of June, end of May, beginning of June, um, started out to not be that, that bad. So I thought I was going to be okay. Kind of worked with my physio on tour and tried to figure it out, but, um, it just kind of the pain just kind of got worse and worse. I think, uh, I just had a a bad shoulder position and then I just kind of grinded, grinded it out with my swing. So I just kind of, it's one of those things where if it's not, if the the shoulder, if it's not sitting in its pocket properly, and then you keep doing, I mean, a golf swing is a pretty intense motion and you just keep doing that over and over again, it creates this friction in the supraspinatus tendon and just uh, basically creates like little micro tears. And that's essentially what happened. And it just kind of got worse and worse. And because I just never stopped playing, I never took a break somewhere in the season. Um, so because it's been going on so long, it's just taking a long time to get the, to basically get the inflammation out and the pain to go away. Uh, it's been about six weeks now and I'm like rehabbing it every day, twice a day. And it's just trying to build up the strength again and, and, but it's, it's not fully pain free yet, but it's definitely going in the right direction, but it's kind of one of those things where it takes like eight to 10 weeks of not playing any golf. Um, and then slowly building up like quantity on the golf course. So probably not going to go back in and just start having two hour grind sessions on the range. (laughs) Um,
0: but
1: yeah, probably wise. Also, I won't be playing until the end of February. So I have, you know, I have time to figure it out. Just, uh, I just want to use this time, like, you know, uh, I would say, efficiently, uh, knowing I have so much time, you know, take the time off that I need, because I think for us, it's sometimes it's so nice to just be away from the game for a while, because just to get a different perspective on it and learn to love it and miss it again. And, um, and that's slowly coming back for me now. So that's nice. um I'm actually looking forward to the winter grind and you know figuring out the swing and hopefully with a healthy shoulder, which would be nice. Mm. Um, and then uh, you know come back at a hundred percent. There's nothing worse than playing at like seventy percent. It's just no fun. And you know that's why.
0: I hear you. Well, I don't want to take up any more time. I appreciate it. this. is awesome, Sophia. Really good yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Good chat. I just, I just thought of Roberta Bowman, Roberta Bowman. She would kill me. I would, her name, but she helped me a lot with this letter. Uh, She's awesome. She did the drive on commercial with me. Um, And that's why I guess the whole time, like, you know, when someone, when someone you work with a lot and you can't think of the name, you're like, what is happening right now? It's also very, it was a very early morning for me. So I have an excuse. (laughs) Well, I appreciate um, you yeah, to do this yeah absolutely. yeah yeah
0: no absolutely that was fun right, hey. I know what it's like to struggle a letter to my sisters in the game I know what it's like to struggle I know all the questions you ask yourself the doubt and frustration you sometimes feel I know about the sweat the countless hours of hard work and the emotional energy you invest only to see your dreams slip further from sight like a ship disappearing in the twilight I know what it's like to stand on a mountaintop of expectations, and I know what it feels like to fall, and I know what it's like to think it's time to walk away. When I hold my last putt at Royal Troon to make the AIG Women's Open a major championship at one of the most storied courses in the world, my first professional victory outside of the Cactus Tour, I remembered all those feelings, and a single thought ran through my head as clear as a Scottish church bell, thank God I didn't give up for a long time, I didn't believe winning would be a part of my story. I told myself that too much time had passed. Even though I was only 27 years old, I know that the calendar for female athletes, even golfers, is different. The average age of a first-time winner of the LPGA Tour is 23. After winning five events and being a three-time All-American at the University of Southern California, I believed that I would be in the category soon enough. I grew up playing with uh, people like Jessica Corda, Lexi Thompson, Maria Stackhouse, and Allison Lee. I knew what it took to compete, and I knew that there were times when my game was on par with theirs. But in the beginning of my rookie year on the LPJ Tour in 2015, I felt that something wasn't right. I flew up to Australia for the ISPS Handa Women's Australian Open, and I felt fatigued. At first, I thought it was jet lag, but realized that it was something else. This was a different kind of exhaustion. Then I couldn't keep food down. Not a stomach flu or what you might get after eating something rich and exotic in a foreign country. This seemed chronic. I love food, but suddenly I couldn't enjoy eating. I didn't have any appetite. In nine months, I lost close to 25 pounds. Something was wrong, but no one could tell me what it was. Doctors ran all kinds of tests, which came back negative. Some doctors thought it was fibromyalgia. Sorry, I can't pronounce that word. Fibromyalgia. More than a few told me that it was all in my head, that this was a physical manifestation of stress and anxiety from being on the tour. I didn't have a medical degree, but I knew that wasn't right. I didn't have a, I'd been competing at high levels for most of my life. I'd represented my country and my con- continent on the international stage. I knew pressure. This was something else. I struggled for three years, a time when I lost my full status and bounced back and forth between the LPGA and Epson tours fighting through symptoms like numbness in my extremities that has sometimes made it impossible to feel the club in my hands blurred vision and excruciating headaches that made it impossible to focus i ask myself often is this my life now is this my future and of course i asked why me finally almost three years after the flight to australia i went to another doctor who asked the question that changed everything have you ever looked into lyme disease I hadn't even thought about Lyme disease when I took the tests. Positive results came back almost immediately. Doctor said when we get the results that quickly, it means that the disease has been in your system for some time. While Lyme disease is a serious illness that can have lasting effects, I felt an overwhelming sense of relief. I had an answer. Every symptom suddenly made sense. Now I could research and create a plan to combat it. After many hours of and much consultation, I went on a strict diet. Detoxing for a full week and then going raw for three weeks, eating only raw fruits, veggies, and smoothies. The first week, I felt horrible. Detoxing is a withdrawal that makes you wonder if it's worth the effort. But after the first week, I found that I had amazing energy. The headaches, numbness went away, my vision cleared, my hands still get cold in relatively warm weather. Sometimes that viewers of the AIG Women's Open noticed that I put mints on between shots. But the worst of the symptoms vanished. Lyme disease isn't a cold or the flu. I'll be battling for some time and as anyone who's changed their diet can tell you, it takes discipline and determination not to backslide. But I also think we underestimate the power of food. In my case, my diet made me healthy and able to rekindle a game that I almost lost. Which brings me to my message to you, my dear friends on the episode tour and other developmental platforms, the difference where you are and where you want to be isn't as great as it sometimes seems. In fact, the line between a major champion and struggling to regain your LPG Tour card is razor thin. The difference isn't hard work. We all work hard. It's not natural talent. Sure, some players are gifted with more speed or height than others, but talent alone means almost nothing. We all know talent's athletes who never broke through. No, the difference is one simple word. Belief. People in Germany expected a lot out of me, especially when I came out of college, and while I kept telling myself that the player was still in there and still capable of being one of the best in the world month after month, year after year, never misses, wore me down. Everyone else believed in me, but I lost a little of that belief in myself. In the last nine months, healthy and playing well, my belief returned, and at the Royal Troon, for the first time in my professional career, I could see myself holding the trophy before it actually happened. I could... For the first time, close my eyes and see my face as a winner. See my name on the top of a leaderboard. See myself as not just among the best, but as a major champion. During a practice round in Scotland, I played with Jess and Nelly Corda. Jessica, whom I've known since junior days, asked me about my schedule. I told her I didn't know because the AIG Women's Open was a bonus. I would need to win it for it to make a difference, I said. Sunday night after I won, Jess texted me and said, Love how we were talking about this on Wednesday. Two years ago, I wouldn't have mentioned winning a major to another tour player. I'm not sure the thought would have ever entered my mind. The fact that it did was part of a newfound belief. One of the questions I've been asking myself since my win is what kept you from quitting? I thought a lot about my answer. There were times when walking away seemed like the only rational thing to do. My mother, my boyfriend would even say things like, why do you keep beating yourself up like this? Go do something else but one response kept coming to me. I can't quit. I love the sport too much. I practice and play golf every day. I watch golf on television every week. Think about golf all the time. I can't walk away. I just love it. Many of you feel the same way. So my friends, my sisters, I want you to know that you aren't delusional for sticking with it. You aren't that far away. Someday I look forward to hugging and congratulating you as you break through realize your lifelong dream, it can happen. Just remember one thing, Love and believe makes all the difference. Sophia Popov. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode. I hope you got some incredibly good stuff out of this. It would be awesome if you really find value in this podcast you drop us a five-star review, uh, leave a comment. It really helps continue to grow, helps us get great guests on the show, which essentially is going to bring you some of the best information that is the journey of Behind the Swing is to get the absolute best out of these people, players, coaches, fitness people, you know, whoever we can find that's going to give you great information to help you grow in your golf game so again thank you for following us we'll see you in that next episode